Hello, everybody. This is Todd Howarth from Ace Friendly's Comet, and you are listening to the podcast. I had a lot of fun doing the interview with these guys. Uh, they ask great questions, and you will not be disappointed. All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Gary Schaller. Welcome to another edition of Your Podcast. After leaving Kiss in 1982, Ace Fraley formed his first solo band, Fraley's Comet. And James from Podcast was lucky enough to score an interview with Todd Howarth, the keyboardist, guitarist, vocalist, and songwriter who not only played with Fraley's Comet, but also with artists like Cheap Trick and Ted Nugent. Todd spoke to Ken and James at length about life with Ace, his long musical career, and lots of other topics. And I got to say, this was one of the best interviews we've had so far. Todd could not have been cooler. And if that isn't enough, Todd recorded a special, exclusive, unplugged version of the Fraley's Comet tune, Calling to You, just for podcasts listeners. Uh, Todd, you rock. And now, without further ado, here's James and Ken and their interview with Todd Howarth. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to uh, introduce you to uh, our next guest. Mr. Todd Howarth is a vocalist guitarist who's best known for playing with many of our favorite performers, including Fraley's Comets with Ace Fraley from Kiss, Ted Nugent, and a long stint touring with Cheap Trick. He was also a member of the band 707, and while with them, he opened up shows for Ario Speedwagon's 1981 High Fidelity Tour, playing for up to 50,000 people a night. Jeez, how do you go to bed after something like that? Oh, man. Well, <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun, I'll tell you. It, it's so much easier, or it was so much easier back then uh, to play for a lot of people as opposed to playing like for 12 or 14 people in your living room mm-hmm. <clears throat> because they just blended so much into just this vast sea of uh, respect. I, I slept very well, uh, and occasionally <laughs> sometimes two and three times a night. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Awesome. Chances are, if you went to a good show in the 1980s, you Todd was probably there, and we welcome you to the podcast, sir. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and thank, I'm, I'm glad that uh, people are still remembering me. That's great news. <laughs> How could we forget? We all loved Fraley's comments. Good band. Good band. A lot of fun. Um, we, uh, John, Anton, Ace, and I, and then Billy Ward and Jamie Aldager, um, we all had different combination of uh, chemistry, and, and it was uh, a lot of fun. And I really had high hopes for the band as we went into almost the the second year. And of course, most people know the the history of it. But uh, I thought we were going to do real well. Um, I thought we could have done a lot better. But uh, you know, progression of music back then uh, kind of uh, rocked the boat a little bit. Yeah. Could you explain that a little bit? Well, you know, that was when grunge was just about to come in. Nirvana was getting ready to kick everybody's ass. And Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Stone Temple Pilots, and all the bands, actually, of which I really like, but uh, that kind of stuff was so fresh and new that it was very alienating to a lot of the, the, the diehard traditional rock fans. And uh, it pretty much just dragged all the new audiences towards those genres, the new genre, and... Uh, Kind of left us out in the cold as far as the business sense goes. A lot of the labels and and um, and business people said, "Hey, this is the new thing that's going to be happening." And uh, the old stuff, not so much. <laughs> it literally was like a light switch being turned on and off. Yeah, it was. I had uh, I had two solo deals. One with Gene Simmons' uh, label, of which I did get signed to. Of course, that was in, in 1990, I believe it was. Weren't we all signed to Gene Simmons' original uh, label at I one think- point? Probably everybody at one point or another was. That's uh, that's kind of like more out of it, but not much. <laughs> that's kind of like the old Andy Warhol saying, you know, you'd all be famous for 15 minutes, while well, we'd all be signed to Gene Simmons' first label for 15 that's minutes. Probably very true. So <laughs> really trumpet on that pedestal, but uh, yeah, uh, the other label, the other label was uh, I was actually almost signed to Warner uh, Records uh, right after the Fraley's Comet, but you know, all the labels are so weary of of the old rock backs of bands with with the new stuff coming up that they just kind of shied away from it so uh, yeah it, it, it wiped out a whole bunch of people we have a question from the message boards uh ian 
from England, whose username is Carnival of Souls. One of his favorite albums of all time is Cobalt Parlor. He says it was obviously a very personal record, and I wonder if Todd was considering releasing another record in that vein musically, if not lyrically. Uh, actually, you know, Ian, thank God for you, because that was my favorite solo album, probably my favorite album, period, hands down, of all time that I've ever done. Um, the new record, the new CD is going to be somewhat similar to it, maybe not as dark. <coughs> uh, lyrically, there'll be some stuff that's meaningful, it, there's some songs in there that kind of uh, about my family, about my my kids and their troubles, and at least a, a solid week of tracking before. That's like you know maybe two hours a day um, on a tune before I'm happy with it. And it, it the drums are the toughest, the guitars of course the easiest, uh, depending on what I'm playing. Uh, leads I'm really fussy about because those are melody oriented. Keyboards are easy because I mean, you know, that's what I that's what I learned how to play first off. Um, singing is phrasing. Uh, bass playing is such a different thing as opposed to my crappy drumming. Uh, yeah, I play everything. <laughs> it gets to be a, a bitch and a half trading hats. I tell you. Well, well, you, well you know, we do have a drummer here. Uh, Ferk really? is a drummer. That's right. Yeah. No kidding. So like, he uh, yeah. Can help you out. What's the style? Whatever you need, whatever whatever you got, <laughs> I can play whatever. I'm, no, I, I'm kind of like your I really screen. enjoy like a, a, a Dean Castronovo, John Bonham, uh, Tommy Aldridge. Well, who doesn't? Alex, <laughs> Alex Van Halen. I like in the freaking pocket and slamming. I said I'm just more like the you know the power type drummer. You know, just hit them as hard as I can and hope they do what I want them to do. That's good. I mean, power is. Uh, I like to hear you know power kicking. Snare and a little bit behind the beat. That's what I like to hear. Now, the name of his band is what, James? The Electric Pepperoni Experience? We are the Electric Pepperoni Experience. That's right. Now, Todd, nice. they, yeah. they, they they originally were going to be called Cobalt Parlor, but that name was taken. Really? No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Ferg, are you a Cheap Trick fan? I'm not a you know, I've never been a huge Cheap Trick fan, unfortunately. I uh, never just never really got into them. I have the greatest hits stuff, great stuff. But I did see them two weeks ago with uh, Def Leppard and Poison in Cincinnati. Wow! And they put on a great, great, great set. I really enjoyed it. Todd, he's obviously a philistine. Um, I myself am a huge Cheap Trick fan. How did you wind up working with those guys? And do you have a favorite Cheap Trick moment? I, you know, when I have my top forty bands here locally in San Diego back in the late seventies. Yes, that dates me. Uh, I wanted to play a couple of cheap trick songs that were popular at that time. I think it was '79. There were some, some a couple of things that were pretty pretty big. You know, "Want You Want Me" and and that kind of thing. Uh, and we did play a couple of them. And I had recorded uh, a cassette of our rehearsals, consequently, which I put on the tour bus for everybody to listen to. And they just had a big laugh out of that. But um, I ended up playing with Cheap Trick or auditioning for them actually because one of their um, Assistant engineers or, or a producer, a, a co-producer, and a, kind of a piano player back in the in the early '80s, uh, I worked with with another project, and he, he had mentioned that to them about me, uh, what I could do and, and my vocal range, and that you know I'm not a tremendous keyboard player, but I'm very solid parts player, and I can play what you know I, I can hear harmonies like crazy. And, and uh, consequently, I was uh, very well matched up uh, for the band, and that, uh, and a couple other recommendations from some other people, uh, finally got me wrapped around to uh, audition for Cheap Trick. Plus, the bass player, the replacement bass player for Tom Peterson, John Brandt, and Pete Kamita. I played with both of those guys in Los Angeles back in '79 and '80. Um, and so they had also mentioned, hey, yeah, we know the guy because we played with him back uh, in the early 80s with, in L.A. So I had about three or four different ends uh, for the band. So uh, I know that you played some with Ted Nugent. Um, yes. What, what did you do with Ted Nugent? What was your role, and how long were you with him? Well, I met Ted when I was touring with 707, and the band was, was playing a few shows with Ted Nugent. And Ted, because... The, the core of the band was originally from uh, Michigan area. He uh, he really took a notice to the band, and 
and it started watching us play and really liked us. So he kind of wanted us to play more shows with him, and then he kind of he kind of knew about uh, my talents and the, the, what I could do. And it, when the band eventually fell apart, actually he wanted to, to produce us and manage us uh, with his his team. And when the band fell apart after that didn't work, then he said. Uh, well, let's see if I can get some of the guys to either play or sing on the next record, which was Penetrator. We did that. Kevin Russell and I did that. And uh, after we had uh, done some of the recording in 83, he decided to put a tour and band together for 1984 with Brian Howe, the lead singer who would eventually become uh, Bad Company's lead singer. Oh, and yeah. he called me up and said, uh, can, you, can you do the tour? I said, well, yeah, sure. So... Uh, he said, "Okay, great. Well, we'll uh, you know we'll, we'll send you out the, the latest the mix of the the, the album and and uh, get you out here." Well, I never got the album, and they flew me out there and went to rehearse. And I said, "Well, what do you know?" I said, "Well, your basics pretty much, but nothing of the album. I never got it." And they just said, "Oh, geez." So you know, they, I had to the rest of the night. I had to learn the basics of the album and program the. Uh, my keyboard and the guitar parts and try to figure out how to do the singing parts and, and re-audition the next morning and uh, with about an hour of sleep, you know, got the gig you know, out of the frying pan into the fire. That's my work ethic ever since I was a kid was always, you know, bust ass and, and you will be rewarded. Well, it doesn't necessarily always work with the music industry, but uh, nonetheless, I tried to push as far as I could. About your time with Fraley's Comets, you say, this band gave me opportunities that I will forever be thankful for. How did you get involved with Ace, and what doors has it opened for you? Well, when I was touring, again, with Cheap Trick, uh, we had been doing some co-builds with John Waite when he was uh, just coming off the Missing You tour. Uh, I used to watch the, their sound check, and the drummer was a friend of mine because uh, he also worked for Atlantic Records. John Reed was playing bass for them, and... They were just such a tight rhythm section. Like, my God, this sounds fucking phenomenal. So after a couple sound checks, I came up and I introduced myself. said, hey, you know, I'm Todd Howard, the keyboard player for Cheap Trick. And John said, yeah, I, I know you are. He says, I'm watching up there singing, and, and you know, you're all of a sudden I see Rob is not singing all the high stuff or some Rick's not singing. Where's that voice coming from? He said, I saw you over there singing and playing. I said, ah, that's where it's coming from. And so we can have you know, a good laugh about that. I mean, that's kind of a typical hired gun thing. Um, and then I said, well, as, you know, as a matter of fact, I also play guitar and, and I sing lead and I, I write a lot of songs. And so John said, really? So he took that into his mental bank there and uh, took my number down. We, you know, of course, we hung out and talked a little bit through the tours. And he said, I have a project I'm doing, and I think you might be a perfect fit for it uh, based on what you told me. So about six months after that, he had given me a call after the we'd gotten done touring, and he said, uh, this is what I'm doing. Um, send me a tape out of some of your songs. And uh, so he explained to me that he was working with uh, Ace Fraley and, and they were developing a band called Fraley's Comet and they were going to scale down from five members to four. And that's how that came about. How do you feel that Ace's fans took to you guys? The fans, I think, a lot of them enjoyed my style of music. A lot of them did not. They thought I was too light, which I, I still to this day I, I find that incredibly hilarious or just weird because I am not light. I mean, when I sing, I may sound light, uh, but if you hear my drumming and my guitar playing and my arrangements and, and the, the basic tracks of what I record, it's pretty ass-kicking. Uh, I mean, it's not thrash metal, but it's very heavy-handed. Um, a lot of people, they, they did not like me, and um, I did win over a lot of other fans, um, and I think it was probably 25-75% split, if, if I'm lucky. <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you. As I spoke to you earlier, I met you in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, there was me and probably 23, 24 other fans, and you and John went out of your way to make sure that everybody was accommodated for after the show, and you guys worked the room. You literally went around to make sure everybody had a good time. That is, thank you for mentioning that and bringing that up because, you know, they're making the effort to come there and spend their well-earned money to come see the songs that I've written or sang or, or a project that I'm with, and, and I really appreciate that. And to this day, I still appreciate it. It, it was well, kind of weird because uh, Ace was on the radio 
talking about the joys of sobriety, and then that night after the show, it seemed like he wasn't enjoying the sobriety so much. He was uh, in ace mode, shall we say? Is that a good term for it? Well, you know, there's there's a there's a fine line about that. In his defense, I will say that a, a lot of that, uh, some of that uh, inebriation uh, reflections that he would that he would give off were not necessarily because he was drinking. He may have seemed like he was drinking. He may even had a beer in his hand. A lot of that times, a lot of the times, it was just an act. He was pretending because it perpetuated a little bit of mystique, a little mm-hmm. bit of uh, disarray for his image. Uh, I'm not going to say the guy was innocent all the time. There were times when he did fall off the wagon, uh, but that wasn't until I think the latter part of uh, Fraley's Comet when I I think that he he was dealing with some issues that um, you know only he can tell you about. But uh, I, I can't. I don't honestly know the the times that he was really you know hammered. Uh, most of the times we were around him, I can only think of a couple of times that I think that you know maybe alcohol had something to do with it. Otherwise, it was just pretty much the uh, you know falling down at Ace Act, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, either way, I, I'm a happy camper because between you, John Reagan, and Ace, I mean, Ace hugged me and called me Curly. I'm a I'm a happy guy. You know what I mean? That that made well, my that's, day. That's, that's, and that's the the offside. I mean, that's the, the offside actually uh, of uh, you know what Ace has to contribute besides his, you know his brilliance on guitar and you know of course he's a guitar icon always will be and the, the guy was phenomenal with a lot of things he did. Have you heard anything right. about the new album? I've heard things about it. I have not heard. I, I've heard it was it was really good. Uh, I expect nothing less. I mean, he's had plenty of time to prepare for it, and and and, and you know, without sounding you know pissy, I mean, he's got some financing behind it as well. So I hopefully it would be pretty ass kicking. I don't know who's playing for it. I haven't talked to Ace in a while, or I don't know who's playing on it actually. Um, so I. Other than you know, the mere mention of it and the, uh, the the banter that I hear on the internet, I have not heard it. The first song dropped today, I believe, actually. Really? The first uh, song from his new record uh, hit the internet today. Oh, cool! I have to. I, mean, I think to it's called Outer Space. Outer Space. There yeah, you I'm go. Not a surprise there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you actually work with Anton Fig in the studio? Oh yeah. Anton and I did, uh, uh, we did track uh, a few, you know, breakout, and then uh, something moved. Um, I'll tell you, some of the best times I've ever had playing is when John, Anton, and I played three-piece. It was fucking huge and tight. Oh, my God. The only other times I can think it was, was that good was um, when I played with uh, Vinny Apice, Carmine's brother. Wow. Uh, back in the early 80s, and then I played with a couple other drummers who were fucking slamming. One of them was Ricky Parent, a good friend of mine who just passed away from cancer, I think, last year, as a matter of fact. Uh, he ended up playing with the Enough's Enough on their last uh, their last vestige of the band, as, it, as I guess it was. Um, but Anton, yeah, he's, he's a very quiet guy, phenomenal Bigfoot player. I mean... I, you know he's a very smart man. He kept, he stayed with David Letterman. Uh, we were trying to get him to you know be with Fred's Comet, which you know lasted what a year and a half, almost two years, and here he is still with David Letterman. What twenty two years later, smart man. Uh, but he's he doesn't. I mean he plays phenomenally on the show, but he's he's so much a better drummer than what most people hear. I agree one hundred percent. He he definitely has that bottom thing down, but yet his oh. his own definite style. Yeah, yeah, it is just kick-ass. I mean, when John and Anton and I would do sound checks or goof off and play, it's like, oh, man, I could do this all day. I've got a couple questions if you want to sure. go with some questions here. I've received. All right. We've got one here. Um, have you ever – this is from uh, Alex Bagboy Walker. He's a, a poster on some of the message boards. Will you ever consider doing a Fraley's Comet-type show of, you know, old Fraley's Comet stuff? And if you need a drummer, let him know. He says. <laughs> well, actually, I, I have thought about doing that. You know, I would definitely consider it. I, I just, at this point in time, I'm not so sure if there's a, a big enough market for it. There might be. And as a matter of fact, I've been thinking after I get done with this CD, I may put together another project, another band that does, you know, some songs off of my CD, solo CDs, 
but principally does some stuff from the big bands I've played with, including Nugent, Cheap Trick, and, you know, mostly Freight is Coming. Why not? You know the tunes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yes, uh, here's another one from Alex, and I think uh, I think the answer here will make them happy. Um, were you ever considering do a, doing more acoustic versions of the comic songs, like you did with Time Ain't Running Out? Yeah, I I, I will. It, it's fun. Like the you know, I did a, a version of the version of Calling to You. Uh, uh, you guys had asked me to do that, and, and I thought, yeah, it'd be kind of fun. What the hell? And, and I was going to do it live on the phone because I thought, well, it's going to sound like shit. <laughs> But then you mentioned, uh, you know, should be watching record. I thought, well, duh. So I uh, I did it this morning. Well, I had a little problem with my old machines because I, I still working with a digital analog tape, and of course the tape I selected was shredding. So that was a piss off. Um, I got it done, and it's it it you know, sounds good. It's fun. There's, there's no uh, no big production by any stretch. But uh, as I'm doing it, I thought, you know, I should devote more time to this, and I'm allotting here because I had to get it off into the send it off to you guys through the uh, the internet. And um, as far as doing more stuff uh, acoustically, yeah, that would be fun, I think. But, again, I'd have to take more time to do it. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of – it's weird because when I sing these tunes, it's like singing them over again, and i got to change them up a little bit more than even what I re- redid Calling to You. I mean, I really didn't change it up because I've only known how to sing it one way, and then I'm confusing it with Megaforce because it's kind of – it's the same song. And I had to re-record it a couple of times because I'm playing the wrong fucking chords. And wait, but that's not it. That's what? Oh, that's mega, mega force. Okay, that's wrong song. So I had to go back and redo it to calling to you. You know. Now, now was mega force uh, used in the movie Mega Force? Yes. I thought yes, we so. Wrote the, the wrote the song for the movie. All excited about that. You know, we the seven oh seven we put together, and, and uh, you know, I wrote the music and most of the music and, and the melody. Kevin Russell helped write the music, and Jim McClary, uh, uh wrote the, the lyrics, and, and uh, it was a good song. And, and then we, you know, did it for the movie, and we saw the movie, and the movie just sucked biggest ass <laughs> ever. Oh, it's dreadful. Dreadful. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a comedy. Now, if you look at it now, it's just a laugh, you know, but, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, Barry Bostwick in any action role, that just sells it, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, because yeah. yeah, he's just the pinnacle of uh, you know of, uh, you know Plan B movies, I guess. I don't know. It's bad. Well, he was Brad in Rocky Horror, but that doesn't really lend itself. He was itself. good there, and he was yeah. also good in Spin City. But right, and, I mean, I uh, you know I look at it now; it's even funnier now because in the movie there's these bad like desert vehicles with guns on them, gun tours, and they're just such shitty. I mean, I've got a sand rail because I'm a, a desert rat. I, I do a lot of off road and. And my my sand car is like you know it's like the space shuttle compared to their wagon they're dragging around this sand mm-hmm. here. It's like oh my god, this is so bad. As a matter of fact, that leads me to something. If someone visits www.toddhoworth.com, they can see a bit of what you're into. I was looking at your hobbies, and it looks like you're trying to kill yourself. You got dirt bikes, water skiing, all sorts of dangerous stuff. What motivates you to go extreme? Oh, I've well, I've been that way ever since I was a kid, uh, I, and a lot of people that know me can't believe that I play. My, my All my desert and race buddies can't believe that I'm a singer, keyboard player, guitar player, and they think, aren't you afraid of hurting yourself? So, well, not really, because I've, I've always been full contact. I used to ride uh, mini bikes and, and motorcycle dirt bikes and go-karts, and I was a really, you know, not even 10 years old. I was driving a car when I was 7 years old on a, on a horse ranch. Um, I My biggest drug is adrenaline, and I was very good at motocross when I was a teenager, and I had to stop riding, actually, because I, I went music professionally, and I missed out on about over 20 years of actually riding, and uh, so I got back into it just about 10 years ago, and I started getting some more toys again, but I, I'm, I'm pretty coordinated for an old guy. I've always been very coordinated when I was younger, uh, you know, snow ski, snowboard, wakeboard, uh, uh, off-road, uh, Four wheel, two wheel. This uh, new sand car I have is like a. It's a. Cor- it's actually a Corvette with a full 20 inch suspension that has about 500 horsepower and, and 2,200 pounds of uh, framework and just flies. And and I do wheelies going up a hill and wheelies coming down a hill and I jump and fly and I do the same thing. I've broken my hand and two thumbs snowboarding, wakeboarding, off roading, and I've had to still play and go on tour. So yeah, it, the adrenaline is is just. To die for. 
Very cool. Good stuff. Um, I have a question from Sean Watson. He wants to know, what is your favorite Fraley's Comet track that you did? Favorite Fraley's Comet track? Um, you know, I would have to say uh, I had a lot of fun for me doing something moved because it was my tune. Uh, I think it was a crowd pleaser. comes from our buddy Bryce. He also posted some of the message boards. Um, is there any unreleased stuff that you recorded with Ace or Fraley's Comet? Uh, no, not that I know of. The only things, just the bootleg stuff that that um, that we've we've already recorded, and I've heard most of it. Some of it's yeah pretty good. Some of it's not so good, uh, depending on the fidelity and you know the how good we were feeling that night. But as far as a back catalog or a hidden catalog. Mm, not what I know of or remember, no. 
Um, we've got one here from our uh, our friend Adrian from uh, Kiss FAQ. He posts love guns. Um, how was writing with Ace? Did Ace say right away what kind of sound he wanted or what he doesn't want? And how specific was Ace in instructing the band in the studio? Good question. Well, he, you know, he let he let people do. Well, I was the only other really principal writer, so. I, I wrote things that I thought would be appropriate for the band, even though they weren't really quite Ace's style. Ace would change them up a little bit here and there by, uh, like, he wanted to do, when he heard the song Megaforce, he wanted to redo that song, and, and I really didn't want to, because I thought, well, this has already been done, and, you know, and, and plus there's other writers for it, and I just think it'd be a pain in the butt. But he wanted to redo it, and we did. We changed a couple of lyrics, a couple of little uh, twists in the, uh, the, uh, the phrasing of the uh, rhythm guitars. Um, he was not forceful about that. Um, he was was very generous. Um, he he didn't run it with an iron fist. He just the only thing he wanted to do was put his pretty much his stamp on each tune, which is a signature guitar playing. Uh, and actually, quite oppositely, when I did uh, uh, "It's Over Now," we played the tune. Uh, Ace didn't play a stick on that song. I did all the guitars, all the vocals, all the leads, all the keyboards, and then it was Jamie L. Dacre and John. And uh, he let it be that way. When I when we showed him the lead that I cool. came up with, he just turned around and said, well, what's wrong with it? I said, well, nothing's wrong with it. I just want to know if you don't mind if I played the lead on it. And he said, sounds great. Leave it. And, you know, from, from that day on, I thought, this is phenomenal. This, this guy is, is so sure of himself and not such a, you know, uh, uh, insecure ninny that he has to play every fucking lead because I'm not a, a lead player. I'm a melody player, and I, I, I didn't want it for the fact that it was lead. I just wanted it because I love the melody of the lead that I played. So with that said, being said that he was uh, he was very open and very giving to uh, most of the tracks on on the CD. And I tried to write the songs like Loser in a Fight. I said Ace, we should sing this together, you know. And and I tried to write that song. Uh, for for us to do a, kind of like a, a vocal uh, duet, uh, duet, yeah. Excellent. Um, what is what is something that we don't know as Kiss fans or Ace fans about Ace Fraley? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, right now, Todd's thinking, do I ever want to talk to the guy again? <laughs> or <laughs> yeah, we, we haven't talked in a while, but uh, you know, I don't think there's anything that that's out there that people don't know about Ace. I mean, uh, he's got a tremendous sense of humor, of course. Uh, he's of German descent, and everybody knows that. Um, he finds he has a macabre sense of humor about certain things. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think there is anything out there that, uh, I mean, he loves women. Uh, who doesn't? Exactly. Uh, there is one there thing I go. know, but I'm going to have to kind of uh, leave that one alone. I guess. That's, that's a story for another time. <laughs> another time. When the book comes out. Another yeah. time. <laughs> uh, when was the last time you spoke with Ace? This last time I spoke fan, with, by the way. Last time I spoke with Ace. Uh, yes. You know, I I think it was it was at a Kiss convention, and I think it was in it was in New Jersey, and we spoke briefly, and then I went to see him. Uh, I actually went to see Kiss play here in San Diego. Got it. Uh, over 10 years ago, and I spoke with him briefly then, and uh, we have not really spoken since. Uh, when when he went back with Kiss, of course, he was extremely busy, and then then uh, before and after, he's had his moments of solitude and doing what he wants to do, and he's he's pretty much moved on to what he wants to do, and, and he, he can afford to do that, and you know, so be it. Um, it's been a while since we talked. Now you mentioned Kiss Expos. Would you ever consider doing them on a semi-regular basis? You know, I I've done about a handful of them. A lot of fun, unless I have something to regenerate or offer in Fraley's Comet, in in combination with something new that I'm releasing. Um, I don't see any real point in me doing it uh, because I think a lot of the fans uh, they enjoy hearing from me, seeing seeing me, but. I think it's, they're probably more geared towards the you know, primary kiss things. I, I, I would do more. I would do more, yes. Well, I'll tell you what. Between you and I and 
everyone that's going to hear this, uh, <laughs> I would love to see you set up and do an acoustic set and take questions on what it was like to be with Ace. That would be a lot. Be amazing. Of fun. I, I really think it's something that would be cool. Well, it's something that might come to pass. Like I said, after I get done with this CD, uh, if my machines last long enough before I blow holes in them, um, I, I'm really considering doing a whole new thing. Uh, and there very well might be a uh, an acoustic set that I can do. I wanted to put together a three-piece band to do, like I said, some some comet tunes and and uh, kind of feel the waters to see that how that would go. Uh, but very interesting idea to do the acoustic stuff. I think uh, I think people would enjoy it. I, I believe they would. Is there any truth to the rumor that you're um, going to do a, a thing called the fake Fraley Comets, and it's going to be you, a John Reagan lookalike, an Anton Figg lookalike, and an Ace Fraley lookalike? Is there any truth to that rumor? <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> you uh, can... Yeah, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. I've got to figure out what Tommy Thayer is doing. No, <laughs> I <laughs> I have no idea, you know. I, uh, <laughs> no, no, I couldn't do that. I mean, God, that would discredit me like crazy. Not, not taking anything away from Tommy no. there. I think he's phenomenal. What that one's for you, Spirit. <laughs> I have no uh, opinion about uh, that. I mean, it's funny how people get all upset about Tommy there and Ace Frehley. I said, well, uh, okay, but he's still, you know, he's not going to do it. He's still bringing the music to you. So, right. But anyhow. I, I'm neither here or there about that. Now, Todd, um, you, you can you can slap the shit out of me for that question if you ever see me. Again. <laughs> okay. no, that, that's kind of funny because I thought about it'd be fun to do something with John Regan and Anton Fig uh, if you know if Ace wasn't going to do anything. But you know, again, you know, I'm not kidding anybody. I'm not fooling anybody. Where would the draw be? I'm I, you know I'm popular. I have a good following, but. Nothing, nowhere near what the, you know Ace has. So yeah, right. it would not be too feasible. Well, Firk and I will come. All right, sure. And you guys be in the front row. All right. We we might be the hey. front row, but you know we're we're two big guys. We might be the whole front row. Uh, All right, sweet. Now we're going to mention a song title. It's this is kind of like a uh, little psychological thing. We're going to mention a song title, and you lay back on the couch and tell us what comes to mind. Okay. okay? What what comes to mind when you when we say it's over now? Uh, ex-wife warning did not heed the warning. Ouch! So that's that's what go. that's what's behind that song. Oh yeah, yeah, with the warning. So watch your ass, shape up, knock it off. I'm here, but you fucked up. See ya. Wow. So that's what it really means, and that's Powerful exactly stuff. what happened. But I actually wrote that song in 1980, uh, 80, I think 86 for she I oh wow! In, I wrote it in Rockford, really? Illinois, in in uh, Rick Nielsen's condo above his music's parent music uh, his parents' music store on an old upright. Okay, our next uh, song is Rock Soldiers. Yeah, bad hair. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had the, the like the mullet. Oh God, I was pissed. Um, I designed the amp line in the back. Uh, the amps a diamond shape. I put them on their sides and and, and designed to have uh, racks for that. That's what come to mind. Um, the song, yeah, not my favorite song. Yeah, a lot of people either love it or hate it. There's there's not yeah, a lot of. I absolutely adore it. It was you know it's a lot absolutely of fun for the people that had that, that enjoyed it. But as far as you know, someone who grew up with Jeff Beck and Jan Hammer and and uh, Rick Derringer and Danny Johnson, uh, it just it had elements that were fun for the audience more. I think it was fun for the uh, the players. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I was almost arrested because of that song, Todd. Really? So I'm going to blame you. You, you, right. you guys would have had to bail me out. We were playing a uh, house party and uh, near the shore and. Uh, the neighbors complained, and the cops showed up, and uh, we actually bailed and left our equipment. And we, and we came back later in the night, got our stuff. But we, we, when that album came out, it came out like on a Tuesday, we, we had learned uh, that song and something moved. No kidding. And uh, people were apeshit for it. But there's nothing like finding your base underneath a, somebody's couch at four in the morning. So anyway, oh, yeah. uh, you know what? That's amazing that you remembered it came out on a Tuesday because I have no fucking clue when it came out. Well, that is I, flattering. Well, these you guys were the soundtrack of my life. Sweet. How's that for some bullshit? Blowing yeah, up your skirt. Pretty good, pretty good size <laughs> shovel, I'll tell you. No, seriously. <laughs> See, here, here's the thing on on this side of it. As a fan, it really. 
whether it be Kiss's music, Cheap Trick's music, whoever, it really is the soundtrack to your life. And you guys as artists, you know, I'm sure that you have your own bands that provided the soundtrack to your life. Oh, be, yes. be it the Beatles or – well, actually, while we're here, who, who, who actually was the soundtrack of your life growing up? It depends on the era. I mean, it, it, which, it, 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 it transcends so many years. I mean, initially it was the Beatles. Uh, because I, I remember seeing those. I used to live with my aunt, uncle, and my cousin came home. She was a few years older than I than I was, or still is. <laughs> but she'd come home, you know, talking about they're going to be on Ed Sullivan. They're going to be on Ed Sullivan. I said, Who's going to be on Ed Sullivan? And I sat there and watched these guys play. I went, That's what I want to do. When the girls are screaming, you know, I was like, Yeah. And I was only, you know, what uh, six six years old, something like that. And they're just. A great sounding a band, and 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 so I was into the Beatles, and then as I got older, you know, uh, I did get into Black Sabbath. Uh, oddly enough, I was Steely Dan. I liked uh, some other female artists that had nothing to do with rock. I I also I got into Aerosmith, of course, and then Jeff Beck and the Babies and Bad Company and Humble Pie. And then as I got older, uh, I got more progressive into. Uh, well, the, the heavy side of sticks, not the uh, I'm sailing away stuff. Um, I really liked uh, Tommy Shaw and his stuff. Um, I liked Hart, like Kansas. Um, and then I got kind of away from that and back into more heavy stuff. Uh, and even into the last few, like last 10 years, the bands that I like, the bands that put me out of business, Stone Temple Pilots, Alice in Chains, hands down is one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots, uh, Soundgarden, uh, Nirvana, uh, Chevelle. I even like Corn. I mean, there's so many new bands, or not not even new anymore, but some of the new bands are very influential to me as well. But it's it's weird. I mean, because I have, you know, lived a lifetime. Uh, there's different spans of music that I like and that, that have shaped my life. Then there's your newest favorite band, the Electric Pepperoni Experience. You know, That's I've right. been thinking about that, and I'm really cottoning up to that whole name. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we hope we hope to uh, entitle our first CD, uh, Slightly Abnormally Shaped Nipples. Oh, so that's, that's the, uh, oh, wait, wait, that's, uh, that's the, uh, oh, what the hell's her name? Uh, the, the, the photo op, and she had a misshapen boob come out of the Oh, Tara, uh, Tara, Tara Reed. Yes. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Let's put her on the cover. Yeah, the wife had to remind me who it was. And, oh, yeah, they went. Now, have, have have you written a song about her? Yes. What was it I called? I did uh, on uh, West of Bay called Rough and Tumble. Oh, well, uh, should we ask what that one's about? <laughs> uh, well, you can assume because it, it probably yeah. works better, but she's pretty much a, a bull in a china shop. I mean, she's she's a stunning woman, uh, very very beautiful, and, and, and uh, you, you think she'd be petite and... I mean, she is petite, but she thinks she'd be delicate and, you know, flit around with the, the greatest of these, and not so much. You know, she's pretty much, uh, I call it the puddle duck, and she slams her way through things, and she's taken me out on many different occasions and knocked me out of the shower, and, and uh, she's just pretty much, you know, full contact. Now, do you ever, like, start singing like it's over now just to keep her in line? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good one. I mean, no, I don't, I don't go that far because... Uh, that that song conjures up. I mean, I have to really separate myself because I really love the song, but I really hate the ex-wife. So right. no, that, I understand. That's not come to play. What's what's your wife's uh, first name? Your 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 lovely bride. What's her name? Valerie. Valerie, we love you. When you hear this, we we love you to pieces. Uh, there you Absolutely. Go. Yeah, she's she's very uh hey, she's she's very secure and she's uh she has no problem with my past because you know she's got her own past. As a matter of fact, she said, "Well, I'm probably the equivalent of what you were." And I said, "Really?" But uh, yeah, she she she'll enjoy that. She she doesn't get offended easily at all. Uh, our next song is "Something Moved." Something Moved is actually um, it was a tune I wrote um, before I, I joined the Comet, and I had had a longer version that I, I demoed up for them. But it is about nightmares, uh, things were scary, and pretty much things were under the bed. I'm a big horror fan. Uh, when I was younger, living with the very same uncle of where I discovered the Beatles, um, I was horrified as a young kid, because uh, I was little and sleeping in my own room. I was positive, as a lot of kids were back then, there was something living under the bed. 
And if I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, it was going to get me as soon as I put my foot down. So I wouldn't go. Yeah, I'll fix that right now. And uh, so that song is pretty much just about uh, my horrors as a child and uh, how I grew to love horror and Halloween and everything. And um, I'm a big fan of uh, Clive Barker, uh, you know, Dean Koontz, uh, Stephen King, of course. I'm going to tell you something. I always thought that song was about vampires. Something moved? Yep. Really? Yeah. See, you could be making a fortune. You could get them to put that in the next Twilight movie soundtrack. Yeah. You know, you know. Actually, there is a song on the new CD. It's about, it has a vampire overtones just out of coincidence. And this, it had nothing to do with Twilight, of course, because it was written way before Twilight was even out and way before uh, this other program called Moonlighting or Moonlighting mm-hmm. was right. out last year and the writer's strike uh, aced that. Yeah, pretty much uh, killed it. Show. I'll definitely check that out. And, of course, your MySpace page is www.myspace.com forward slash Todd Howarth. The uh, the uh, bit that it reminds me of is, is from the book and movie Salem's Lot. Yes. Where the one vampire, the, 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 the kid it has become a vampire and his best friend, and, and he goes to visit him, and he's mm-hmm. kind of like floating out his window. Right. And he he doesn't even see him at first. Just something's moving out there, and that's what that song always reminded me of. Really? Yeah. It's yeah. I, something moved actually is is a part that uh, I actually drew that from years later. I, I remember when I was a kid, I was scared to death sleeping in this one room, and if you stare at the walls long enough, you see shadows. Mm-hmm. And I just know you just know something moving out there. So that's kind of where something moved. It's out there, you know. What comes to mind when you think of calling to you? Calling to you is is a it's a it's a structured tune. It was and it's twofold structured because we wrote it when we Kevin Russell and I sat down to, to write Megaforce. You know, there was no way we could fit the word Megaforce in an artful melody song. So how the fuck is this going to work? And we had all kinds of versions, and I finally came up uh, with you know, the tune, the melody, Megaforce, uh, and it worked. And we had to force it, really. Now, then we go ahead and redo the song with Freddie's Comet, and he wants to, Ace wants to change it to Calling to You, and he wants to change the chorus to strike the drums, uh, Stand Up and Shout, which is, you know, a very Kiss-type anthem tune, uh, of which I don't write. And so here I am trying to force the issue of this type of writing style on this tune which was forced to begin with so it it works i mean and, and it, it it just seems to be a very forced song to me and i know it may surprise a lot of people but it just uh even like when i was singing this morning i go god damn this is a forced tune yeah because it's i'm singing it the way i sang it but it's nothing like the melody and the song and the syllable selections of which i use today and have used in, in the past 10 years because I just don't do things that way anymore. Uh, I sing it the way it, it was because I think people want to hear it that way for those that will hear it. But it is—it's just a—it's a—it's a weird song. It's difficult. It's not all that easy to sing either. I mean, a lot of people think it's—it's a—you know—pretty easy tune to sing. But I mean, I, like I said, I do everything pretty full full contact, and and when I uh, when I sing, it's pretty balls out loud. And if I'm not in vocal shape, I can wear myself out quickly. So, it, uh, yeah, it's uh, fun but troubling. The the last song I want to talk about is Insane. If there was ever a time I was jealous of you, it was during the filming of that video. Mm-mm-mm. There's some uh, decent horse flesh going on there. Oh, man, there was so much. I mean, we did in the SIR, the big room SIR, uh, and there was so much trim running around. It was unbelievable. Now, I want to get done pumping it all up. I'll give you the sad part of what took place, but... Uh, yeah, there was a lot of beautiful women, and then when they got all made up and put on the nurse outfits and running around there with this just fine ass everywhere, oh, yeah, it was, it was pretty much a one-eyed dog in a meat factory. It was just so much fun. Um, here's the sad part. I did not get anything out of that whole video shoot. Couldn't you believe that? Unbelievable. Yeah. Terrible. Okay. gay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's that's that's got to be a video that like you you've got to be proud of. Yet, uh, please don't show that to my grandsons just yet. Actually, I, I take my grandson to the beach because I'm like uh, a, a mile away from the beach, so 
usually every day that I, that I have him for the full day, I take him to the beach and I, I'm teaching him, you know, hot babes. And we pull in the parking lot and he's screaming out the window, hot babe, hot babe. You know, so, so we get, we get on the beach and, you know, there I am in my, my you know, my, uh, my low slung uh, bathing suit, my hat, and my long hair, and my son's. He's a really good looking kid. And, and he's running around and he goes, Grandpa, is that a hot babe? Yes, it is, grandson. That's hot babe right there. So, yeah, I'm teaching him all the bad shit right off the bat. There, well, it's your obligation. Of course. <laughs> um, there's, so. there's, there's, there's that one shot of all you guys, and you, your, your hands are literally between the girls' legs, and you, like your hands are out, like you're putting up five. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I yeah, don't yeah. know what the hell that was all about, but damn, did it look like fun? Oh yeah, we were having a lot of fun. We were, we we're emulating uh, certain body parts, you know, with our lips. At least I was, and and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was hard. I mean, there's so much candy there, and there's no way we could play with any of it at the time, you know. Oh, horrible. And as big a fan as I am of you guys, when I watch that video, I don't see you guys in it that much. Like, good boy. Good boy. <laughs> <laughs> who, who the fans don't care? Oh, yeah. It's like Tony Katane on the, the White Snake uh, video. You know, I really don't want to look at David Coverdale. I just want to see Tony Katane. Everyone was. Back in the day. Yeah. I don't know what she looks like. Actually, I do know what she looks like now. And right. I'll, I'll, I'll keep my memories. Thank you. Yeah, memories are definitely kind there you go. to her. Can you explain the relationship between John Reagan and Ace? Well, you know, it was very close and very good. John Reagan is one of the best bass players I've ever played with, uh, period. He's very solid, very talented, very, uh, very business-minded. Uh, he built Friendly's Comet pretty much. Um, and he kept it together even after I left. He was there for a while before it fell apart. Now, I, I think that the relationship between John and Ace could have been strained here and there because of financial uh, reasons. I, I know some of the details, uh, and I don't know some of the other details, and I would say that, um, unfortunately, the, the reason that we have to watch, or John and I would have to watch our financial status uh, was probably the the reason for the strain because Ace really didn't have to watch his financial situation. So when you put those two combinations together, some, sometimes there's conflict. I can say that um, when when I met you guys, um, as as I said earlier, you were all very accommodating, very friendly, but you actually got the vibe that uh, John was in control of everything, that, it, that he was kind of like the mother hen, if you will, like he was oh, in yeah. charge. He was, he was, he'd have a lot of fun, kept a lot of things together. Uh, he had a big hand doing a lot of the business stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, I was completely oblivious to a lot of it. I was just, you know, I was a songwriter, melody, songwriter, singer. That's all I wanted to do. That's all I really knew. And I think I should have paid more attention to it actually back in the, in the day. But, uh, yeah, you, your observation is very uh, correct and very dead on. But, yeah, John Regan is a great guy. And uh, we always tried hard to, uh, I mean, it actually didn't try hard, we just the way we were, as opposed to uh, uh, Ace. You know, Ace is a really great guy as well, uh, until he gets tired, then he's like, okay, I've had enough. You know. mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it, it was still a thrill to be called Curly by him. Oh, yeah, well, he calls everybody Curly because he can't remember the fucking name. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, one of the gentlemen, uh, a great, solid guy. Do you see him much? I've seen him occasionally when he comes through San Diego uh, playing with Peter Frampton. The wife and I have gone to uh, a few shows, and it's always great to see him. I haven't seen him the last, I think, couple of years. I think I missed him last year, and we email once in a great while. Um, we don't get together as much as, as, as you know as we should, but you know he's doing his business and I'm doing mine, and, and it's kind of different sides of the country. Well, when you speak to him next time, uh, tell him that if the podcast guys ever want to do an interview with him, it'll be a lot of fun, and we want to see who actually got laid on the set of Insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it wouldn't be any of us. I think Ace was the only one, and his girlfriend was in it. She had the short blonde hair. She was, uh, she was pretty stunning as well. Uh, so I'll, up on that. <laughs> I'll definitely keep an eye out for. Her. Is there any specific live show that stands out in your mind? For Fraley's Comet? Yeah. You know, I think, yeah, I'd have to say the Hammersmith Ode in, in uh, England was a tremendous show because uh, there we are on, on one of the most famous stages in the world, and I I had played there with three different bands, Cheap Trick, uh, Ted Nugent, and now with Ace Fraley singing my own songs. 
that was pretty much the pinnacle of my career, as, as, especially since uh, the time we were there with uh, Ted Nugent. Uh, Bette Midler came backstage, and I got a picture with her, and then Jimmy Page is up on the Raptors watching, actually, uh, John Bonham's son's band open up for us. I think, uh, wow. I think, what was it, Peter Wolf or Wolf or something? I forget what the hell I knew. But, uh, I mean, and then, then we... Before we did the concert the night before with an empty uh, Hammersmith, we uh, did the four videos, which were It's Over Now, um, what the hell is, uh, Fallen Angel, and um, what was the other song? Jesus Christ. Well, we did four, anyhow. <laughs> I can't remember what they were, but yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> it was a, a pretty, pretty sweet night. Excellent. Um, there's one show in particular, being a member of the podcast staff, that we absolutely have to ask you about. Sure. And it was the New York Limelight Show. You were promoting the second sighting CD, and there's two guys lurking near the side of the stage. Gene and Paul got up and did the encores with you guys. What can you yeah. tell us about that night and how that came to be? Well, we had been, I think, rehearsing in SIR, and KISS was rehearsing in SIR as well, which is kind of weird uh, I, for them. But, you know, I knew, uh, of course, I would known Gene actually since back in 1980, because uh, one of my bands I was playing with auditioned to warm up for Diana Ross, and she was dating Gene, and Gene and Diana Ross came to see us play, and he came up and talked to me specifically, so I've known him since then. Uh we knew that they were going to be there, and we thought it would be a lot of fun to have them come up. And we were all kind of getting along. Ace was getting along with them. Uh, I mean, he was no fool. He knew that it would be advantageous for them to come up and play as well. And, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That was probably the other um, high point for Freddie's Comet as far as uh, excitement because the, the place went nuts when they came on stage. Um, the party afterwards and actually before upstairs in the – the green room, as it were, I guess, uh, was so much fun, and um, everybody had a blast. And that's a night that I really did have a good time. You know what I mean? Wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, for the bands, for the for the for the fans, for the uh, photographers, uh, it was a lot of fun. Sounds like it. Um, the, you 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 may not know anything about this, and if you don't know anything, it's okay. We heard that around the same time. Paul and Gene were kind of scouting Ace out about a potential reunion around that time. I don't know if there was any time that Paul and Gene, or especially Gene, let's put it that way, uh, wasn't scouting Ace to come back and, and wanting to play. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, really? I, don't, I don't remember any hoopla about it, but I, I do know, I remember Ace talking about, you know, that he, he really didn't want to go back and play with them. Uh, uh, and I'm thinking back then, I remember that, well, probably won't go back and play this until he absolutely has to or needs to. And then I thought, well, now that the Comet is dead, uh, and after the uh, trouble walking effort, I, I thought, well, he'll probably you know, go back and play with Kiss if he's smart, and he did. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I, I don't know. I, I never heard anything about it back then, but I do remember Ace grumbling about the fact that he didn't want to play with him or didn't want to play with Kiss at the moment. And wanted to do his own thing, and that was us. Well, uh, Ferk, is there anything you'd like to say before we wrap it up? Uh, Todd, man, we appreciate you. We appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, appreciate the, the calling to you uh, deal you sent us. And uh, thanks a lot, man. We really appreciate it. Well, yeah, thank you very much for thinking of me, and I, and I hope it does well for you. I hope people enjoy it. Um, thanks for asking me, and and uh, feel free to get in contact with me again when the. When I get my my CD out, which hopefully will be in the next couple of months, I'm hoping that I can get this through this because it uh, when you do everything solo, I mean it takes I mean for real it uh, it takes a long time to get it done. But thank you for asking me. Well, I'll tell you what, when that CD comes out, you get a hold of Ferk and we will pimp you out like crazy. I really appreciate it. We'll we'll, we'll do like a, a little a little mini interview with you, and we will we will flood the boards with as much as we can. To, to I let believe you will. You know, I think it was, it was a really good interview. You asked very interesting questions. You posed them in, in a way that was very interesting twist, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And you still want to kick my ass about the fake Fraley Comet thing, right? <laughs> Not really. Oh, okay. I'm only five foot seven and one hundred fifty pounds. <laughs> well, I'm pretty fast for an old guy, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll, uh, you could probably take me. You could probably take me. <laughs>
I just go, look, it's Todd Howard, and you just <laughs> yeah, whack me upside that, the head with a guitar. That was, uh, no, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And, of course, uh, don't forget to check out his website, www.toddhoworth.com, and his MySpace page, www.myspace.com forward slash Todd Howarth. Thanks for being here. No, it was a lot of fun, <laughs> and I appreciate it. Yeah, please let me know. All right. God bless. You too. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye. 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 Hi, my name is Bill Starkey, the founder of the KISS Army, and you're listening to Podkist. Well, this is Todd Howarth, and right now we're going to do a little bit of acoustic tune that uh, that I uh, had a hand in uh, writing and singing back in the Fraley's Comet days. It's a little tune called uh, Calling to You. And, by the way, it is a Podkist exclusive. Now, okay, let's, let's give this a shot here. our show thanks for listening be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com if uh, you have any suggestions comments or just want to talk to us drop us a line at podcast 
at gmail.com. Be sure to check out James's other site, which is called zombiefaq.com. For all you white zombie fans, it's the place to be. A big thanks to Julian and all of our friends over at kissfaq.com. Big thanks to all of our pals at mykisslife.net. Keith LaRue and all the staff over at kissonline.com. They do a great job representing the hottest band in the land. Our good buddy Ken at his website, which is called kissfansite.com. Thanks for all you do for the podcast, your great graphics. If you have a Kiss-related website and want us to uh, mention it in the show notes or uh, possibly talk about it on the air, just let us know and we'll see what we can do about that. As James mentioned, be sure to check out Kiss Online for links to all the individual band members' websites. And as always, a big thanks to Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memories of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Thanks for listening. Good night. Good night.